0: Luke chapter 12, please. Luke chapter 12. I'm going to start in verse 22 and read down through verse 34. The title of the message this afternoon is Where is Your Treasure? And so you follow along as I read here. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body, what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them, How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do the thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things, but rather... Seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." Again, the title of the message this afternoon is, Where is your treasure? This parable that Jesus gives here, it follows up, actually, on a parable that Jesus gives. Jesus just finished giving the parable of a certain rich man. This certain rich man had misplaced values. He was not a man who was rich toward God. If you look back just a little farther in verse 16... And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This certain rich man had misplaced values in his life. He was not a man who was rich toward God. God demanded his soul back. And he went out into eternity as a fool, according to Jesus, because he squandered the life that he had been granted as if he owned it himself, as if he was in control of it himself. And let me just say to you in passing here, brethren, this life is not our own if we're saved. We're bought with a price. Therefore... Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are are God's. God has granted life to you and to me to live it for him, not to live it for self. Jesus said, this certain rich man was a fool. He went out into eternity as a fool because he was not rich toward God. And he had lived his life according to his own will rather than in laying up treasure in heaven and being rich toward God. And so Jesus exposes the sin and the folly of covetousness here in these verses. But then when we get to our text verses, Jesus continues that same thought and that same subject, except adding another dimension to it. Jesus begins to press home upon the hearts of his disciples the needlessness and the vanity of, of anxiousness over worldly or material things. In other words, Jesus is pressing home the thought that the rich man that he had just talked about who suddenly died a spiritual pauper, it ought to teach us something. It ought to teach us the importance of laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven rather than living for earthly pursuits. And so I want to talk to you this afternoon about this thought, where is your treasure, and take some principles from what Jesus says here to his disciples and make those applications for us this afternoon. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use your word in our hearts again today. Lord, we need you so much. We need your word. And Lord, may it be on the heart of every person to apply principle and to be a doer of your word. Lord, make your word come alive to us in very particular areas of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want you to see with me this afternoon is that in verses 22 and 23, Jesus gives the value of life, the real value of life. Look what he says in verse 22. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body, what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Jesus gives us the real value of life. The very first thing that he says is take no thought. Take no thought. The idea behind that phrase is don't be anxious. Don't be full of worry. A lot of people are full of anxiety and a lot of people are full of worry in their life. People tend to worry a lot. Jesus says take no thought. Don't be anxious. Don't be full of worry. You know, when something occurs in our lives that we cannot control, people worry. When something appears on the horizon of our lives that looks bad, even though it may not actually happen, people worry. People imagine what could happen, and they start worrying about imaginary things. Yes, it's potential, but you don't know what's going to happen. We worry. We worry about big things. We worry about little things. The point is, a lot of people worry and create anxiety in their life simply because they're full of care and full of anxiousness and full of worry. Jesus says, take no thought. We spend so much time being anxious that we almost seem eager for something bad to happen. And a lot of times, people can't even function unless they're worrying about something or anxious that something bad is going to happen. That's not how God wants us to live. Jesus gives us the value, the real value of life. And here's the reason why God doesn't want us to live that way. When we worry, our faith in Him is diminished. Solomon himself is mentioned in this passage of Scripture. Solomon wrote some Psalms. And Solomon must have been speaking of the uselessness of worry when he wrote Psalm 127. Go over there, just keep your place here, and look at Psalm 127. In verse 1, Psalm 127, 1, a song of degrees for Solomon, it says. In verse 1, he says, except the Lord build the house... They labor in vain that build it, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. How many times do people stay up late at night worrying about something? How many times do people get up early in the morning with this thing on their mind, worrying about it? He says it's vain for you to do those things, to sit there and eat the bread of sorrows. When we worry, our faith in the Lord is being diminished. And here's the application. In our text, Jesus says that life is far greater than temporal things. Food, Clothing, those are the basics of human survival, yes. But the purpose and the reason and the value of life is so much greater than concerning ourselves with just this present life. Your life as a child of God, as a servant of Christ, is so much more valuable to Him than food and raiment that is needed to sustain life. Therefore... Don't be anxious and worry over the temporal things of life because the one who gives the greater is not going to fail in the less. Should I say that again? The one who gives the greater is not going to fail in the less. And yet there is so much misplaced priority, and misplaced value and investment of this life into the thing that is only temporary. Jesus says the life is so much more valuable than the temporal things. Take no thought, he says, for your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to put on, for the body, so on. The life is so much more than that. The body is more than raiment. And so Jesus, first of all, gives us the value of real life. But then secondly, Jesus reveals who's ultimately the provider of these things anyway. Look at verse 24. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn. And God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit. How many of you could think about it and add 18 inches to your height? Some shorties in here probably would love to do that. It's an impossible thing to do. And note what Jesus says about that in verse 26. If even be not able to do that thing which is least, that's nothing. Impossible for us, nothing with God. Why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not. They spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Jesus reveals who ultimately is the provider here. People work so hard at trying to keep this life together and make something of this life and make it, quote, enjoyable. But in all actuality, people end up making themselves more miserable by the labor and the endless effort with not a lot to really show for it. Mm -hmm. And the reason for this is God is not the one who's building their life. And that is why they labor in vain. They labor in vain, except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. Jesus says to rest ourselves in God concerning the things of this present life, too, because ultimately he's the one who provides. Jesus points out here that that that, that God's gracious provision for the birds of the air is there. And then he reminds his disciples that you're of more valuable, you are, you're of more value to God than even the birds. Notice what he says. In verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn. And God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And then he reminds them that actually you really don't have any control over anything anyway. Look at verse 25. And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If he then be not able to do the thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Jesus reminds them here, you don't actually have control over anything anyway. And you know what? You and I, we think that we are in control of our life, but that's really folly. Accidents happen all the time. Things that you didn't plan for that completely change your life and completely make you not what you are today. There's a friend of mine who is in another state, who has a sister, who has a young son, who's athletic and he's His life is built on sports, and he's full of life and energy and fun and all of this. And and there's nothing wrong with that. But but in a second, in a second, his life was completely changed. He had an accident that hit it, cut his spinal cord, and now he's paralyzed for the rest of his life. Young boy. We think we're in control of our life. But we're not. We only think that we're in control of how things are going to go in our life. And and like I said, accidents happen all the time. Listen, the truth of the matter is our life should be built on on the Lord, who's ultimately the provider anyway. But people go about life, this life, trying to to make it enjoyable and to to try to, to build something in their life, but they end up actually making themselves more miserable from all the vain labor. In verses 27 to 28, Jesus compares them with the flowers of the field that are so lovely and yet are even more temporal than man is. Notice it. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now notice how temporal these are. If then God so clothed the grass, which is... Today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven. How much more will he clothe ye, O ye of little faith? Notice how even more temporal the flowers of the field are than mankind is. Today they're blooming, tomorrow they're cast in the oven. If God clothes them and cares for them, how much more will he care for you and for me? And we get all anxious and we get all uptight. We get all worked up about things in this life and where this life is going, and what I have and what I don't have, and what tomorrow is going to bring and and all of these things. And we think, oh, no, the world's going to end because Joe Biden is the president. Well, it might, actually. I mean, let's just be honest. But God is the one who cares and provides and is ultimately in control of things for his children? We can trust him. Jesus tells us about the real value of life. Jesus reveals who ultimately is the provider of things anyway. And we get things all backwards and all mixed up, and we get these misplaced priorities and investments of our time and of our life. And then look at verses 29 to 32. What Jesus does here is he reveals the heart of God the Father towards his children. He says in verse 29 And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. Did you notice that statement there? There's a lot of people, maybe even in this room, who are constantly of a doubtful mind. Back and forth, not trusting in the Lord. Jesus says, Don't be of a doubtful mind. He says, You're of little faith when you're like that. And then he says in verse 30 For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Notice how Jesus says, Your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. Notice that Jesus says, Fear not, little flock. Jesus uses some really good words here that are all related to our relationship to God. Jesus says, fear not, little flock, in verse 32. I think that's interesting. By using that term, Jesus pictures the people of God as sheep and himself as our shepherd. And there's not enough time, probably this afternoon, to discuss all the similarities that there are between us as sheep and Jesus Christ as our shepherd. But there is time to say a word or two about how good Jesus is to his children. Now let me just say this. Sheep are often dumb. And we are likened to sheep. (laughs) I don't know if that's offensive or not. But that's the truth. Sheep don't possess a good sense of direction. Sheep are utterly defenseless. We are like sheep. And like sheep, we must have a shepherd to provide for us and lead us along and many times rescue us. Yeah. Wasn't that long ago that I saw this meme about somewhere over in, in Europe and, and, and it's a video and this guy is, is trying to pull this sheep out of this long trench that's along the road, right? And the, and the trench is like this wide. And here's this Guy, he's on the road, and he's got the sheep by the back of the legs. And he's pulling and pulling. That sheep went down head first into this narrow trench that's pretty deep and long. And he's struggling and pulling and pulling. And he finally gets the sheep out of the trench. And the sheep's like, I'm free! And he takes off running. And he goes to jump over this trench, but he jumps too soon. And boom, (laughs) head first, right back into the same trench. And I'm like that was me. (laughs) I do that all the time. The Lord rescues me from the pit or the trench that I found myself in, and I'm like, I'm free, and I take off and fall right back in the same trench. That's what sheep are like. That's what we're like, and we need a shepherd to rescue us. Listen, all the trouble that we get ourselves into during the course of our lives, imagine Just imagine how difficult life would be without a shepherd who actually loves us and has mercy on us and wants to guide us along. We sit and fret and worry and fear and and all of this anxiety gets built up in us about what's going to happen tomorrow and I can't control this and I can't control that and I'm going to worry about the imaginary problems. And we jump headlong right into the trench again. Why do we do that? Because we're sheep and we need a shepherd. What if we didn't have him to pull us out of the trench? And we don't recognize it, that even in all of our (laughs) sheep-likeness, he's still there. He's still pulling us out. He's still trying to lead us along. It seems like this is connecting. Good. This is just what the Lord wants for us today. Sheep get themselves into trouble. We often get ourselves into trouble. One of the most precious passages in all the Bible is probably Psalm 23. Turn over there, Psalm 23. In this passage, we're told about how the Lord is our good shepherd who cares for His flock. And I want you to, excuse me, just to note a couple of these blessed truths here. Look at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's a loaded, loaded truth right there. First of all, the Lord is my shepherd. God is my shepherd. But also in verse 1, it tells me that He takes care of every need that I have. I shall not want. David said... I've been young and now I'm old and never once have I seen God's seed begging bread. God always takes care and provides as our shepherd. I shall not want. Notice verse 2. In verse 2, we find that he allows his sheep to find rest and contentment. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. You know what? Your life is actually really good. It's really blessed. (laughs) It really is. Even amidst all of the things that you think are problems and troubles and trials, your life is actually really good and blessed beyond measure. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. It tells us here that we find rest and contentment in the Lord. He allows His sheep to be refreshed. Look at at verse 3. He restoreth my soul. That implies that There was something that was wrong that needed to be restored. He's the one who did it. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When he leads, it's always going to be in the path of righteousness. The things that he provides are good things. The sheep are restored. They're healthy. He sees that we have the needs met in our lives and we are cared for completely if we'll trust him. He always gives perfect leadership. Look at verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The sheep have no reason to fear when the shepherd is near, because he's ever with them on their journey. And with his rod and his staff, he will fight off the enemies, but he also helps us when we stray. I would just simply say, what a wonderful shepherd of my soul the Lord Jesus is. What a wonderful Savior He is to me. We sang the song this morning, His name is wonderful. He is wonderful. Jesus in the text says, fear not little flock, but then He says, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom note how he says your father the use of the word father tells us that we are more than just his sheep we're also his sons amen and that's a precious truth it's made even more precious because the bible says right here that he is your father that makes it personal it's interesting to note that the Jews had dozens of names for God. What they needed at any given time usually dictated the name for God that they would use to call on God. For instance, if they had a need in their life, they would call on Jehovah Jireh, Genesis twenty two fourteen. 14. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. If they were anxious... In their life, they would call on Jehovah Shalom, Judges 6.24. It means the Lord is our peace. They would ask the Lord for his peace. If they were lonely or afraid, they might call on Jehovah Shama, which means the Lord is there. If they needed leadership, they would call on Jehovah Rohi, which means the Lord is our shepherd. If they were sick, they would call on Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord, our healer. And there are literally dozens and dozens more. But you get the picture of what I'm talking about. When these people needed to get a hold of God, they referred to Him by these various names. That is interesting. But here's the truth. For those of us who are in Jesus Christ, there is a different name that we use to speak to God. And that is our Father. Romans 8. In verse 15, turn over there, please. Romans 8 and verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Aramaic word Abba here, which basically translates to the English word Daddy, is used. Now, some people, how do I say this? Let me say it discreetly. Some people cringe when this is talked about right here, that God is daddy. And the reason that they do so often is because children often see God like they see their dad. And if their image of their dad is such that they start to picture God in the same way as a critical God, as a a, a mean or hurtful or, or, or one who can never be pleased or one who overreacts or one who's angry. That's how they picture themselves. And when they see themselves in front of God, what do they see? They see abject failures in life. Because I can never please him. And it sets them up for failure. They have this picture of perfection, and God is perfect, but they have this picture of perfection that I can never, ever meet, and I can never please him. That is not who God is. We are more than sheep, we're his children, we're his sons. And I would simply say this as a side note. Lord, help me reflect the kind of father that you are with my own children. Who remembereth our frame. Who knows that we're dust. Who's always there to comfort and to guide and to heal. And yes, he's perfect. And yes, he's holy. And yes, we'll never measure up to that standard of perfection, but we don't have to in Christ. Because here's the thing. When God looks at me, he doesn't see me as my sin. He sees the righteousness of his son, whoever liveth to make intercession for me. And if I will simply confess my sin, he is always faithful and always just, and will always cleanse from unrighteousness. Because if the Lord counted iniquity, who shall stand? But there's forgiveness with the Lord. Lord, help me reflect the kind of father that you are to my own. So that when they turn to you, What do they see? A loving, heavenly Father who, like Jesus says, is more valuable than anything else, who will always care and provide, who is ever faithful. Amen? What is Jesus doing here? He's revealing the real love and the real faithfulness of the Father's heart. ...towards his blood-bought children. Jesus says, your father knoweth that you have need of these things. So then why harass your heart? Why be full of anxious thoughts about these temporal things? The Lord knows. And he'll provide. And he'll give you what you need. And he'll lead you in the path of righteousness... And we, 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 we think of verses like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that say, tru- that say uh, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. He will. And He'll lead into green pastures if we'll just trust Him. If you can say, listen, friend, if you can say, the Lord is my shepherd, then you can also confidently say, I shall not want. That's it. That's about all I got. But you don't need any more. Amen? The Lord is my shepherd. Would you say that? Yep, the Lord is my shepherd. Then you can also say, I shall not want. Trust him. We see the heart of the Father towards His children. And it's very personal. But then we get to verse 34 and Jesus reveals the condition of people's hearts. Because in verse 34, He says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, There will your heart be also. It's not so much what the treasure is, but where it is that determines the nature of it. Jesus says it all comes down to the affections of the heart, and the affections of the heart are shown by what we really seek after. It's not about things necessarily as much as it is the heart that we have towards things. Verse 29, Seek not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. Verse 31, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Look at verse 33. Sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupteth. Here's the point. If the basic necessities of this present life are promised by our Father, then we don't really need to worry about them, do we? We are entirely free then to set our whole hearts and our affections on things above, gain treasure in heaven. I'm free to be able to say, okay, Lord, what is your will for my life? What do you want? Where do you want me to go? You lead me in that path. I'll go. I don't have to necessarily worry about how it's going to happen if my heart is to simply follow and obey where he's leading. The eternal things like serving the Lord, just being in His will. Those are far more important things. And so the question is, where is your treasure? What do you seek after? That which is temporal or that which is eternal? Like being in the center of God's will and serving Him. How are you investing your life really? Are you working hard and laboring in vain to gain in this present life? If so, friend, you're wasting your life. And it may end like the rich fool who laid up treasure for himself but was not rich toward God. Are you full of care and worry and anxiousness over things you can't control, over what tomorrow is going to bring? And laboring in vain to try to work this and work that and make sure that the, all the plan is there and everything so, so, so that you don't have to trust in God. That's not how the Lord desires us to live. You might be here this afternoon, you may not even be saved yet. But you need to come to Christ so that you can say, The Lord is my shepherd and call Him Father. However the Lord is speaking to hearts, let's be on purpose about responding to Him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word, for making application in our own heart and life. And we pray in these moments of invitation, Lord, that there'd be a heart that's ready to confess a heart that's ready to yield, a heart that's ready to trust and do business with you. In Jesus' name, amen.